Welcome back, everyone, to our cast number one oh eight. Our last episode was with nope was with Dylan and Celtia, uh, who talked about their travels around the world. Uh, obviously, the second uh, episode, I guess, of the All In podcast. So nothing to do with food and farm in that one. Uh, between them, they've been to eighty eight countries. So that was really interesting to learn. Celtia was like trilingual. Um, yeah, some really cool things to talk about there. The next episode, we are going to Shetland and having a chat with Amy Budge. I say we're going. It's going to be on Zoom. I don't know why I'm saying it as if I'm flying up there because I'm not as much as I would love to. Um, but today we have one of those people that seems somewhat of a stalwart of the whole ag Instagram scene. Um, always been around. One of those people that's been on the list for some time and I've just never actually messaged. And that is Sophie Gregory. Sophie, would you like to say hello? Hello. Oh, I think you're lying on that, but that's really kind. <laughs> absolutely not. I am absolutely not lying on that. It's completely true. Completely true. <laughs> it's if an honour. Uh, <laughs> well, it's um, an earned honour, shall we say, an earned honour. Uh, <laughs> Just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, Aplan Rural. Aplan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Aplan Rural for that. If you haven't came across a uh, Sophie, it's is it farmer underscore in underscore training? Yeah, right? farmer in training. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, just started because, uh, yeah, pretty much farming. I am farming in training. I, I I don't think you ever become a qualified farmer. You're always learning. So that was sort of the start of it, really. I like that. I like that. So was, was uh, did you come from a farming background? No, definitely not. So um, I was, I trained as an accountant. So I had kids very young. I had uh, my first 18 and not so planned on a gap year. And then um, I needed to find, I would have gone to university, but I needed to find something that I could do sort of alongside having a young baby. So I trained as an accountant um, in a rural firm. So I did a lot of farming accounts. Um, my mum was a vet. So I sort of, I've always been around animals. And then my, now husband was desperate to go into dairy farming and I thought he was totally mad I absolutely was really against the idea I thought it was going to lose loads of money we had quite a he was working really hard as a cattle foot trimmer so some of you will know what that is so basically a farrier for cows and it's quite good money but it's um very very bad on your body if that makes sense it's very tough on your body so it's sort of like a short career really it's sort of a numbers game so uh he was desperate to get out of that and into dairy farming and I was quite resistant to begin with um but then in 2014 this farm farming opportunity came along with a business partner and it was quite clear when we when we arrived here that it, I would be involved in some way quite quickly and it's now my full-time full-time job how long was it not your full-time job? How long was accountancy still the main thing, but the uh, farm? So I think I still, Harry, was about five. So about five years I did accountancy. Um, but I just was finding I was having to be in the office quite early. And then I was um, not really seeing the kids. And it wasn't really stacking up with having then two in childcare. And it was pre-COVID, so flexi-working definitely wasn't a thing. Um, so, and I just... 
uh, at the time I could tolerate working in office just about but then as soon as you start working outside it's very hard to go back to that office environment full-time so I just it to begin with it was sort of to support Tom and then it just became my yeah completely became my passion. So how long between the farmer Ivan and you realizing right okay this is for me it's not just why has my husband chosen this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well I think probably it was about six months I think I was definitely there for the first milking when we bought we had cows on farm within 10 days of taking on the tenancy and I was de- I was desperate to see the first milking because I'd actually never been in a milking parlour before. So um, it was, yeah, it was a bit mad. We invested all our life savings into this. You know, cows are expensive and getting going and dairying. Anyone who knows dairy farming will know it's tot- it's massive capital investment. And um, so I was just desperate to be involved um, in the first milking. And then I think for the first six months, I didn't, I sort of floated around, you know, straight to few cows. And then I think it was when the cows got out or something happened and Tom was like, can you come in the parlour and help me? And then I just absolutely loved it. And then I was having to do more exams and I just thought, actually, this is just really not for me, the accountancy. I still do our own books, but I I just like the balance of having having the flexibility. The far, I mean, the farm, people say farming is not flexible, but I love the fact that I can get up early in the morning and then be done by a certain time, take the kids to school. And then come back and work and still be able to juggle it with the kids, if that makes sense. It actually does. It does work. Yeah, I guess it's not flexible in the sense that there's always something on, but it's flexible in the sense that you can move that an hour or so. Yeah, exactly. Which is useful and useful in that position. Can you tell us a bit, Sophie, about that process of going from not having a farm to then having a farm? Because that's that's a massive jump. It's a it's a stressful situation I assume you've already mentioned sort of how intensive it is money wise um I originally started this podcast because people wanted to know how you get into farming and I had an absolutely easy route in I was born into it and whatnot so you're the sort of perfect person to talk about this yeah of course um so I think the biggest things that I always say to anyone I wanted to get into agriculture are um get experience as much as you can before so like even if you're just volunteering on another farm like experience definitely talks um get hold of some stock um as quickly as you can so like run your like be able to even if you're just getting sort of 10 acres or anything that will give you experience it shows commitment to the animals and it sh- it actually teaches you a lot because the amount of admin and paperwork actually involved in like 10 acres is quite similar you're learning how to do passports you're learning how to apply for you know um, single what was single farm payment dealing with tenant you know landlords all of that thing um and one of our biggest things that we did which I think was probably instrumental still is very much instrumental is we had a good mentor and he we started off in a we we've done something called share farming so we knew this farm was coming up because my husband had been foot trimming in the area he the cows had been sold it it was it gone into administration so it was a tenant we knew the landlords weren't going to farm it themselves um and we knew it was coming to the market so we sort of had to probably a sort of head start on that point but um we approached what was a business partner anyway we had we were rearing some calves with them and um said what do you think and they said absolutely not to begin with um and then we took it to them again very persistent and they were like okay let's just give it a go 
And so we applied. There was about, I think there was about 30 people applied, even some from Ireland. It was when, back in 2014, when the milk price was like 35p conventional, which like hadn't been for a long time. Um, and I think, well, I know definitely it was our business partner's reputation that got the farm. And also we paid a very high rent. Like we paid like a, no, not a high, a competitive rent. Um, so I think it was that full package of having a young team on the farm, but with the guidance of a mentor. And we went in at 20%. He had 80%. We had built that capital through my husband's foot trimming and my working as an accountant. And so we had money in the bank ready to go. Um, I think probably things are easier to get. We, you can get access to finance slightly easier now. I think there's a few. So Oxbury are really good. They, they're doing specific agricultural loans and things now. So I think that really wasn't there when we were applying um, for finance. Um, but we started at 20%, 20%, built 50% over the first four years. And then we sat at 50%. And then um, we're just negotiating the next jump if that makes sense so it's plenty of tenancy um and and we're sort of actually in 10 months off the end of a 10-year tenancy it's pretty much it's pretty much signed but it's just a few things left to do if that makes sense it's that's i mean like one of the if there's if there's any running themes for all the the guests i've had on a tenancy is like gold dust in this industry like it's almost absolutely and, yeah. and that's the sign that was that so this kind of size hadn't so since we've been here so it's um five seven five acres at, at home and since we've been here only one other farm this size in the in the sort of within an hour has come up so that's in nine years so this this sort of opportunity it doesn't happen that often and it was already it already had a dairy um you know it was already equipped ready to get going um there aren't a lot of opportunities so so really going for this one was really important you mentioned the sort of reputation of the partner. Are they in farming or was the reputation due to finance? No, no. So they are in farming. So I right. think they've got eight, eight dairies now, um, but they started on one tenancy. And actually, I think I want to say it's 50-50 split on owned and tenancies now. Um, done very well off a very simple model um, and just grow, grown very, very quickly. And they just had a very good reputation of being tidy. One of the big things was that the landlord gave us sort of, I think it was like four hours notice to come onto the, our actual farm that we were running at the time. We had a very small holding, like um, it was like four barns, one acre. Um, we were just messing around with calves, you know, just to get up, get going. And um, we were given like four hours notice and he went to our business partner's farm as well. Um, and it was the ability to be able to be like, yeah, come, you know, the farm looks clean, tidy. Um, that talks a lot. And I think probably as farmers, we we forget that, that public perception sometimes is really important. And like we probably don't see some of the mess that others would, if that makes sense. It's very easy, yeah. isn't it? All of us farmers are very busy people. And it's very easy to like put that to the side and be like, oh, I'll do that, you know, in a few months time. But it's really, it, it, you know, if you want to progress, it's really important that you farm in a way that is attractive to another another landlord. It's, it's quite a common system that we have a thing up here I'm based just in the south of Scotland called Farming Partners and uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of them if not it's, it's very similar what's going on similar to what your business partner's doing um, sort of owning and splitting up ownership and allowing that ownership to increase for the managers that are running it it's a really it's a really cool system and it's a way that 
a personal stroke company can make money but also encourage others into farming so it's it's a it's a massive win for the sector in fairness and it's funny you say about cleanliness of the farm i've i've got a drone in the last few months and i've been taking sort of drone shots for folk here and there and it's quite funny getting a shot of like a farm and um you put the drone up and then you'll get the photos get the photos and it's quite often uh, the 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 lady of the team whether that's the the, the wife or the partner or whatever We'll say, I bloody told you that, that was a mess. <laughs> That's always quite funny. They don't see it, I don't think. Yeah. Often time they don't see it. Although Tom's quite tidy, but it's like the workshop. It just looks like we've had a, I don't know, like an earthquake in there. I think they're looking for something and then it just gets, like, then the door of the workshop gets left open. So it then comes out of the workshop. Yeah. Into, like, luckily it's behind the house and so no one can see it. But it's the first thing that I'm, like, slightly quaking my boots over if anyone's coming. Um, I think we've got a bit of a goal that we all are going to go in there. We've got three, um, two girls that work for us and a, and a guy that work for, work for us. Um, we're all going to go in there and do it together and then just have spots yeah. of where everything lives because it has no structure at the moment and so it's just not it doesn't work it's like you say though it's it's, it's not like you're doing nothing the rest of the day though i mean this is oh. thing and it, and it does have a massive impact on it um you said 575 acres tell us tell us about the sort of farm system itself so yeah we started with 575 and we were going to milk 280 um spring calving um organic cows um so we, we had to go a year in conversion we bought organic cow well a lot of organic cows and um the land we could backdate because it hadn't been farmed i think they'd been out sort of 18 months or something so we could backdate so normally it's two-year conversion and then we fed some um we fed organic feed for, obviously from the beginning through the conversion um period um and uh, yes, yeah, so we got to 280 spring calving cows. And then the first year, the fertility was shocking. Like we bought from like 50 different herds. We had like a 30% empty rate, which is horrendous for our type of system. Um, and so we put the bulls back in thinking, oh, we'll sell the empty, like we'll sell the, you know, slips, the ones during the autumn. And uh, obviously that never happened. And we ended up, you know, with more cows. And um we then took on another block of, we, we started buying in some whole crop and things from other, there's another organic farm up the road. Um, and then in 2000, 2004, 2016, we took on um, 312 acres just under eight miles away, which then became our sort of heifer rearing block. And we took them off, off the home farm. So sort of today we, the farm looks like, it's changed even in the last two weeks actually, but um, it, it's uh, at the moment it's sort of three, we sort of peak at 380 cows, but it's averaging um, 350 cows, uh, 260 in the spring calving and then 100 in the autumn. So two blocks, eight weeks and nine weeks. And um, then we've got the extra bit of land that we run the heifers on. So we're 100 heifers each year, only at the spring block. Um, very low, sort of five and a half thousand litre cows. Um, were out at pasture for sort of 11 months last year, just as much as possible. We never go fully dry because we have two blocks. Milk twice a day. Got a very young team, um, 17, 19 and 22. Um, so quite, yeah, very like to encourage the next generation um always have an apprentice and with the expectation that we would offer them a job but encourage them to go and do what they want to specialize in so one of ours has gone on foot trimming one actually went building you know they just have done different things 
but learn a base from us if that makes sense so they're sort of an additional person um that yeah they just learn everything on the farm and then two girls um one uni graduate and then um Lottie who came from a pub washing up who's been fantastic awesome I think I think that's the thing I mean so many people think there's there's only one way to get into farming it's like well two born into it or you know study 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 or whatever there's so many different ways and you've proven the different folk you have there um mm. I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates, the UK over, and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm, from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years, or a fancy new and exciting diversification. I'm basing this purely on the yield, is that jerseys that you have? No, so um, Irish Parisians, but... Right, okay. um, they do a lot of walking so they'd be you know we're on a hill like a, a quite a steep incline um and it does mean that uh we've got a mixture of um quite wet ground but also like a green green sand um belt that is does stay quite dry so we've got sort of the benefits of both but it does mean they have to walk quite far so quite a we've got like 500 kilo animal so we don't want a big cow they need to be good on their feet and then get then get back in calf you know with we don't do any veterinary intervention for getting back in calf or anything so it's just natural selection um we ai um and then balls in um but it's no yeah no sort of sinking or anything like that and what, what do they offer sort of solids wise um so we about four and a half and three and a half so four and a half fats probably just over that now average um that was always our aim but we're sort of starting to push past that now which is good uh the leases probably have come down a bit but the solids are definitely going up what are you more focused on are you focused on either more or i think we don't want to go any smaller 500 kilos than we are just because they've got the capacity to eat the amount of grass is what we find we just we we sort of 500 we we probably yeah sort of 500 kilo animals is what we're aiming for um if they do a bit more milk at the same solids that would be great but we need to we're sort of at the point where we need to do some something about the infrastructure is in the parlour, because that's probably a limiting factor here with with long milkings. And it will, will have an effect on yields and things because it's like three and a half hour milkings, which is oh, not really, Yeah, it's quite a long one. <laughs> um, but the, it got it got us going and we were only going to milk 280 cows. So it would have been fine for that. But as we've grown, it, it we haven't because we hadn't had that term of tenancy, we didn't. Um, we didn't want to invest without having a long-term tenancy. Does that make sense? So, so with a reset of ten years, then that would give us enough time to invest in something that'd be much quicker. I mean, we'd take two-hour milkings to knock an hour and a half rent would be ideal. And is it? I take it it's a conventional parlour, here in Bournemouth. Yes, yeah, it's just a, a a double up thirty. So it's fifteen aside, thirty cows in at once. I mean, it's a fine parlour. The flow is actually terrible. It's straight into a wall, which is probably half the problem. Um, is that they don't really like leaving the parlour. They just walk, you know, it's just not flow. Um, so we've got ideas. We've, we've been seeing quite a few parlours and we've got ideas. And and so if we're just trying to toy with, you know, going, going full spec and doing it like new and all of that to whether we can bodge what we've got, what the actual benefit would be to having, you know, moving it totally. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I think, you know, when, when people are either starting in farming or they're just in farming, one of the things they look at to try and increase value to sort of add, add value to that product is organics. 
you just mm. went in straight away. Was that always the plan, or was what? Why? Why did you jump into that from from pretty much day one? Um, I think so. The big thing with us, um, with being organic, was that it's like three hundred and twenty cubicles, but five hundred and seventy-five acres. So really, conventionally, you'd probably five hundred cows here. So like the, we'd have to have invested in infrastructure if we wanted to be conventional at the time it was actually purely a financial decision we did the budgets for conventional and organic and we did the budgets for spring and autumn carving and actually the autumn organic stacked up best but we knew spring better so we went with spring organic our business partners only ever had organic herds so we were learning from him too but as you know after the first couple of years of organic we were fully committed and now I'd say it's more of a sort of like in their kind of decision like in the heart decision than actually you'll find a lot a lot of organic farmers are the same like it you're either like in it for the like because you totally believe in it or or you're in it you know for financial gain but the margin now is so small between conventional and organic like it used to be when we started it was about 10p uh, and now it's about 4p it's yeah it's hugely different so it's so you, yeah it, it it's some of, uh, even if we went conventional mm-hmm. not saying that we would at all at the, at the moment we wouldn't um but uh, we wouldn't really change much in our system it would just be the feed the co- feed costs um, there was i mean uh, this figure i'm saying is probably a couple of weeks old but there was a pretty notable drop in milk price conventionally so, i mean you guys as well yeah, organics followed. So we supply Arla. We're part of, um, yeah, the cooperative, European cooperative Arla. And um, they are they own uh, Cravendale, Lurpak, Anchor, all of those big brands. And then they have the rights to selling Year Valley um, fresh milk, cream, butter, cheese um, under their label. So um, that's where a lot of our organic milk goes. And also the biggest customer for organic milk for Arla is McDonald's. So all of their fresh milk in, in McDonald's is um, organic. So tea, coffee, that kind of stuff. It's all organic. Yeah. So um, any, any milk in coffee is organic. So the milkshake stuff is not organic. I can imagine that. Eh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no comment. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that's, yeah. Any fresh milk sort of straight into tea and coffee and stuff is organic. And I'll yeah. do for the coffee. Yeah, I'm not overshocked. Not overshocked. The milkshakes and McFlurries aren't. Um, but that, that's where the machines work in that is anyway. Um, the yeah, it's just it's a it's a big decision to make, and I guess there's quite a lot of people probably listening to this. Uh, Sophie, we've got an idea of what organic is, but could you tell mm. us what the differences are? What what is it you've got to do to to stay organic? So it's uh, no herbicides, pesticides, insecticides, so no chemicals, no artificial fertiliser. You have to graze for a proportion of the year when conditions allow. Um, antibiotic withholds are double for, or for organic, so like any treatment a cow needs, it's double withhold. Um, the same, also you're limited on the, amount, on the types of drugs you can use. So like there's certain drugs that you can't use being organic um, and very much encouraged to use natural alternatives, if that makes sense. Um, and when you're inspected, you, they look at the amount of um, medicines you've used. Um, so we're always looking at other ways of of uh, doing what an antibiotic would would do, if that makes sense. Um, and then I think it's 
I mean, this isn't really an organic thing. It's probably just a specific thing. Like lots of conventional farmers would also do the same. It's it's just a way where farming is is that we're sort of feeding the cow from the ground up. So we're like we have huge uh, huge focus on soil. So just what what is below your feet. So sort of healthy soil, healthy plant, like a diverse plant. And then um, healthy cow, healthy milk, healthy human. So we're just trying to trying to manage everything, the environment the cow lives in to make it, enable it to do its job the easiest it can. So like whenever we turn away from nature is when we find we have problems. So we, you know, anything that we do that isn't natural, you know, we as an organic farm, you have to follow the seasons much more. So I think spring carving is probably easier because you're, you know, there's, you're not having they're they're drier during the winter when they're housed they're you know they're nearly either dry as and they've gone on holiday before carving um or not giving as much milk so you're not having to feed you know not having to feed lots in the winter um but it's just following it's following the seasons really organic it's, no, it's cheaper. farming yeah yeah cheaper to take something through the summer than the winter as well yeah yeah, yeah absolutely uh, probably the thing that, that people listening are that I assume when you listen to podcasts, you get questions on your tongue, so at the tip of your tongue, is that the we don't want to use a lot of pesticides in general. Like I'm pretty sure that's mm-hmm. a pretty common opinion, but yeah. they're used for a reason. Is yeah. do you find issues not being able to use that? Yeah, so it's actually a really interesting question. Um, we so we were uh, so the first like six years of organic, we were pretty much. Um, conventional without chemicals and we were just noticing that our soil indices were actually getting worse um and well we didn't have anything in the toolbox we couldn't use anything we you know we were plowing we were just doing every you know pretty much a conventional reseed you know plowing seeding rolling all of that and um and we were just seeing yeah uh, decreases in soil indices so we just as organic dairy farmers were like this cannot be right like we really thought by being organic we've been great for the soil um, so it sort of triggered a, a sort of like subject on looking at dairying differently. So since then um, we've stopped ploughing. Um, we've uh, we just instead of doing a full reseed, we're sort of um, patching up paddocks, if that makes sense. So like accepting that we won't get as much growth out of them, but we're doing more, if that makes sense. We're doing more paddocks, so the average growth of the farm is up. So we're not having like extremes of like a really low growing, like maybe four ton an acre and then then reseed growing 10. We're sort of trying to keep paddocks at like an eight, if that makes sense. Right. I just stick them. Um, but yeah, it is hard to not have that in the toolbox, um, especially when you're so reliant on climate. So I'd say organic farming is probably more reliant on weather than conventional. We don't have anything else in our toolbox. We can't do any, you know, there's nothing we can do but I'd like to think by building resilience in our soil we can hold on to water more um, or we can water can infiltrate better through our soils you know in flooding and things so I think by looking at our soils better gives us more of a chance to hold on to nutrients and grow better you know better crops and things we're we're only grass system but um, we grow a lot of like herbal lays and things or diverse walls I suppose we call them more um so we are so that is a soil approver as well so every decision we make is aligned with the fact that we need to look after our soil is you mentioned you brought in whole crop whole crop from other uh, organic yeah. yeah um i take it you're still cutting your own silage though yeah so yeah. now so we've given up um buying in whole crop from anyone since we took that 300 acres on we grow uh, all 
grow a lot of it ourselves i mean we occasionally buy in some hay but um not uh you know not a whole crop so much i mean our type of cow we found to begin with we used to, to grow a peas and barley whole crop unsown and um with the hope that would give us a bit more protein in the diet through the winter but what we found is that our type of cow just doesn't need it and it's quite an additional cost if that makes sense like it's not we don't get the response because two-thirds of our herd are quite dry in the winter as in they're like quite stale they're not producing a lot of milk so that is one of the negatives with having a split block two carbon blocks one of the systems is are always under not neglect it's not neglectful but it's not focused on if that makes sense so the autumn's come along to the ride that the springs are on we don't house early we don't do special measures for them we don't try and you know grow a special an extra special feed for them we don't split them or anything they we accept that they do you know they probably do six thousand liters um but they probably could have the potential on another farm just focused on them to do six and a half but we're happy you know that we're happy that the additional cost to split them and everything would be more than what we get back if that makes sense so we're doing everything really for a spring calving herd with the addition of being able to milk a few more cows by having another block if that makes sense so no, no only grass now um or herbal lays um and no no whole crop or um crops the um one of the things you said right at the start that your challenges was well not strictly challenges it was just one of the problems was mm. fertility how, how is fertility now maybe more of a focus on like sort of calving index how quick are you getting back in calf is it is, is there much there yes. um so we because we've got two blocks well, the aim is to get them back into the same block obviously the so the spring a spring carver can go to the autumn if it doesn't get in calf, but an autumn carver cannot go back round. We're quite strict about that, just because otherwise you end up with a real, you know, really long days in milk. It's just not, they're not the cows you want to keep in the system. Our fertility on the heifers, there were three, so we served 90, so like 93, so one free martin, you always get a free martin. No matter how on it you are, there's always one come out as a twin that you don't, haven't realised and it's not till you um scan them that you're like oh great so i've just reared this heifer and it's actually a free martin and it goes in the freezer um but out of those 93 um only three didn't get in calf and then we gave them another go because actually um for us uh, that the autumn block wasn't isn't that big so we just could carry them and they were they were smaller ones anyway that probably you know that weren't really at weight when they got to the spring block so it was only three so actually and so they all got in calf for the, for the autumn which was good so in the heifers has always been good we find we found last spring we we carve in the second week of um march and so when we were serving it was really hot last year um and so we we did struggle a bit with fertility then the grass had gone to head it was it wasn't ideal but normally we'd sit around between the 10 and the 15 percent empty but then of those 10 to 15 percent empty a lot of them would get back in calf for the autumn so actually like our um cows out of the system we, a lot of them would be selective cows so ones that we don't actually want to breed from very very hot on yonis just because we had 70 when we first came because we bought from like 50 different herds and yonis wasn't really a thing at the beginning it wasn't like something you bought a cow over you know you just you it, you know not many people were testing so uh as soon as we started milk recording it was through like the highs um so we were like the first thing for us was to cull them out as in over time obviously they they did milk through but 
we we read we wear a few quite a few more heifers than we need because we're we're conscious that that was a issue we've got very low yonis now but we've been at that for like eight years so the next thing i think we'll look at is probably cell count we've never really culled for cell count before um although it's under control at the moment it there are times when you think actually that that cow probably shouldn't go back in if that makes sense so we're able to be a bit more selective now we've got on top of the yonis um, but in general, the facility is good. It's so much of it's to do with the season, the weather and the stress the cows are under as in like if it's really hot, they don't like it. Um, but that's I think a lot of people who are carving later in the year probably found that last year. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned Joni's there. What is there any any major diseases that around where you are that are an issue? That's one that's obviously coming up. Is, uh, I mean, TB. So like a lot of the local farms yeah. Down with TB, we've actually just gone clear yesterday, um, which we were clear for. We went down when we first came. We went down, which wasn't a surprise because we, you know, had so many different from different areas, etc. And you never know whether the test is fully accurate. You know, we could have had a false. You know, uh, it could have actually bit one of that cow could have been a reactor, but not picked up on their test. Um, so we had about eighteen months at the beginning that we lost thirty cows, and then we were clear for seven years, and then we got shut down uh, mid. When was it? So it was just before calving last year in the autumn, and it was we just had a clear test. We're six monthly anyway. We just had a clear skin test, and then an abattoir one the week after. Um, so it just threw like one that they then cultured positive, and that then threw us to having another test which we had and we had one IR uh, which they took as a reactor under severe and then they gave us one more test which we had a fully clear test and we were expecting to have to test again well they told us we were going to have to test again in about a few weeks time round groundswell time and um, in the end uh, we were applying for licenses for to bring bulls on so we have, if you're shut down with TV you have to get a license to be able to bring an animal from a clean farm on and um, my husband had already gone to them and said, look, can we have a license? And I was just ringing to chase it. And they said to me, you do realise that if you sign the cleansing form that you'd actually be clear. And we were like, no one has told us this. They let us go. You know, we'd sold some calves under restriction and they hadn't told us this. So because of our history being quite good with TB, they'd actually taken that one IR. Um, it didn't have any lesions as a clear test. So they just hadn't told so the communication really within that is was very complicated and not right but we are now clear which which will make a big difference because we've still got calves here from this spring that I thought I'd probably end up having to wean and you know have on a patch of ground I've still got autumn calves here that are sort of nearly six months old that I'd like to shift they're actually on rough permanent pasture now but and not costing a lot but I will sell them you know I'll be able to sell them for probably twice of what I would have done um you know this when you shut down with TB it, we're very lucky we can still sell our milk but I mean the actual fact that the calves are worth nearly zero um is the restricted thing and and also the fact that you can't get them off farm to be able to focus on your replacements your heifers and things you you know finding someone who has space for TB restricted you know beef calves is quite hard work um it, it's just a the test's an issue like there's there's it's really is not problem up here but it's yeah and it's really made us think about um about how to build a resilient system that doesn't rely on having a clear test so we've we've thought about actually how so some more bits of land that we've taken on recently would suit beef calves so otherwise we'd either make hay out of it but suit 
beef, beef calves and if we had to it would mean that we weren't so stocked um, on the other bits and we could give the good bits to the heifers and you know an angus will grow on thin air whereas a dairy heifer you're you know you've got a target weight by to get them in calf whereas an angus you know you from grass you can feed it's it can be slower so we sort of tried to build our business a bit more resilient to the fact we could be shut down again just don't know do you it's so out of your control which is so frustrating yeah well that's it that's it and the, the inclusivity of it the inconclusiveness of it sorry mm. is yeah it's just, it's sad to see places get completely shut down for what turns out to be nothing like it mm. i know that's required but it just it, it seems like this far into it there should be a better way uh, yeah. i am not i'm not the person to say what that is but there must be there must be a way yeah you'd think so you'd think so what, what's the sort of plan with the male calves what happens so we a lot of so all sex semen this year that was another thing we did once being shut down because we thought i don't want the risk next year um so the only thing with sex semen though is you really need to have the animal in the right condition like you should have that anyway but you can't because the it's not as the conception rates aren't as high for sex semen so like the heifers need to be at weight like they are we've just weighed them they're averaging just over 300 kilos so and they're bullying really well so i'm not worried about that but if you would have slightly lighter heifers you know post a drought or you know just a burden of work you know anything like that you you really need to have the conditions right to get it in calf with a um with sex semen so it does affect fertility a bit but for us it was a no-brainer because we you know to have more than 10 percent bulls is just not viable you know it's better to to have beef to have a higher value animal before we were shut down we had a local farmer who used to take our um frisian bull calves for free so we just give them to him and because we're part of um Arla, part of the cooperative, um, have a policy called every calf has a value. So actually you have to keep them alive anyway. So we would, we've always done that um, as part of organic anyway. I don't actually, I feel like they are a responsibility as part of the system. It's not actually as producing milk, you have a responsibility for the calf and its destination. So um, it, yeah, it was never an option to do anything else, but we had a good home that um, they used to finish them, but their son was, um, their young son was, rearing them and and because they were free to them it was a good chance for him to start out so they weren't high value calves so um luck also because we're Frisian rather than Jersey the calves are slightly bigger they're not a Holstein but they're slightly chunkier which you know it's more attractive to to someone having the calves I I like your opinion on the uh, life of the calf being your responsibility I like that the first time I'm from a place that is very much not dairy. There's only one dairy left from the island I'm from. And when I went away to uni to study agriculture, um, the first time I heard about what happened with male calves, I was like, nah, this is... I, I asked you a question. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's, it was outlawed, what, two Octobers ago, I think? Mm. Uh, yeah, completely. But it's, yeah, it was... I know it was a monetary hole, but still, it just couldn't be correct doing that. Like, but... Um, mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Uh, <clears throat> just having a scan through your Instagram as I normally do. Uh, actually, just before I ask that, you've been mentioning um, diverse sward instead of herbal ways. You said herbal ways and corrected yourself. Is there a difference there, <laughs> or is that you just prefer that? To- <laughs> I think I think it's because so. Uh, until about three years ago my husband was like I'm not doing any herbal lays he was like they're too prescriptive I think it was really around that countryside stewardship where that G G GS4 I think it's called um where you were having to use a certain um 
certain herb package like there was a certain herb mix that you're having to use and and it just didn't suit what we were trying to achieve it wasn't really a great all of our land is grazed and cut so we don't have pacific silage block and then pacific grazing so like at the other farm the heifers graze the whole lot as well so it, we just take paddocks out you know everything we find that easier because it, we're building fertility in the soil because everything's great it's not just being drawn from the whole time if that makes sense um so it, it's always really important to us to have something you can cut and graze and and that gs4 was not really suitable and that was known as the herbal lace so i think tom was always like oh, i'm not growing any herbal lace and then the minute you know it became they became way more flexible on their view countryside stewardship so now you it just has to have an, a certain amount of herbs in and clovers and things um and so now we just you know, just to get around the bit of joke with tom with the herbal lay it's now a diverse ward so i find myself correcting myself it's the same thing uh well i mean the thing is it's for like the actual herb part of it, it's not actually a big bit that makes sense it's like it's phethalonium um herbs clover you know lots of different clovers and grasses so it's like a real mixture um, but but they were always known as herbal lay and quite woohoo at the beginning. But they're very mainstream now. Um, it's quite, um, well, just thinking about it, uh, I was going to ask you sort of what is in that sword. The one that probably jumps out to me and it might be completely wrong is chicory from an organic perspective. That's for just an anthropomorphic. Yeah. So no, don't actually put chicory. Of um, we have in the past put it in low rates, but we find that it gets quite stalky if it goes to flower and find it quite hard for cutting. And we also find that it, it, this is, I mean, it does very well in dry parts of the country. And I've got friends who very much rely on having it in their mixes because it grows through a drought, sort of the, you know, east side of, of the um, country. But for us, um, in a non-drought year, we should grow grass the whole way through. Um, but uh, we find that it leaves bold patches. It kind of takes over a bit on our, other people have great results with it but we we find it just dominates and so we've taken it out of our mixes we find plantain works much better for us um so we've probably got a higher level of plantain than than another mix we have like a specialist mix made for us a lot of people would have this now depending on you know we've got a heavy mix and a light mix so half the farm is like a clay mix and then the other half is like a sand for sandy just because it can, what you need to do, you know, we to begin with, we put everything in and then we watched what grew and then took the other stuff out because it, it they're expensive, seeds expensive. Um, you know, to, to be seeding stuff that's not going to come up is expensive. So we just have made mixes that work and just done two now that seem to work quite well. And is that through the guys that's on your hat or is that? Through? Yeah, <laughs> it is through them. It's so bad because I was up today at that far, at Farm Ed, which is actually founded by Cotswold Seeds. So okay. there was me and Tom wearing a DFL hat. Uh, I would say it wrong, DLF hat. And slightly embarrassing, but uh, yes, that's who we get our seed from. Um, we sort of partner with them because they've been quite flexible about what seed we can have and mm, they are quite a bit cheaper. So I know Cotswold Seeds are very high quality and a lot of people use them for that fact. So if they if they want a very prescriptive herbal lay, that Cotswold seeds are very good at that and a high quality, you know. But for us, we are doing quite a lot of reseeding, patching, and bits. So actually, we know what our soil is growing. Um, so actually, they they suit us. We've 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 gone the other. Yeah, there's different different things for different systems, isn't there? Um, whatever works for what you works, you know. Mm -hmm. 
Um, <clears throat> I mentioned earlier, sort of had a wee bit of a scan through Instagram to see if there's anything to pick up on, and uh, I couldn't help but pick up on Dairy Industry Woman of the Year 2021. Oh, that's uh, that's this one. No, I don't. Know, I'm, it, it was a massive honour, and um, it's led to so many things. And if anything, it gave me huge confidence to do some things that I wouldn't have done otherwise that I'd wanted to do, but I didn't have the confidence. And it was really nice because the girl who nominated me was working for us. Um, she's actually gone on to um, like a more of a management role now. And we didn't have, because Tom and I are both here, we didn't have that position at the time. Um, so she's she came from being our milk recorder to wanting to get back into ag as in actually you know um, putting pups on and you know being involved in the grazing all of that and then she moved on to a few other dairy farms and now she's really settled with a local farm up the road so that's really nice um but it being nominated by someone who worked for you is actually it that's like the biggest compliment really um and then I never thought that I would win it was just a huge honor to be nominated but it has led some to amazing things and it's um I wouldn't have done the board stuff for Arla the um board representative stuff for Arla if if I hadn't have won that I don't think because I don't think I knew anything I honestly was still in like total I'm a fraud and I probably feel that slightly now still because I don't think with farming it's so and I try and say this to the girls who work for us is that um it's not like I can't say to you this is how it's always going to be so like at the moment we're foot bathing twice a week but actually we had a conversation on the way home that actually do we need to be foot bathing it's under control of the feet and so I'm going to end up telling them a different thing it's not black and white farming it's totally adaptive the whole time and it can be you never you sometimes can feel like you're not in control of any of it but that is really what working with animals and working with nature is you're not actually the one in control at all um but you just control the controllables so uh yeah it's it gave me huge confidence to try some things that I wanted to do and I I have loved being on the Isle board as well um it's you know it's a huge step up for me but I've I hope that I bring something to it maybe something slightly different um disruptive no I'm not disruptive but just slightly different to what they used to maybe you know the, the world needs upstarts um I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2 cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. The it, You say like you still feel, there's obviously like some kind of, not inferiority, but there's that sort of feeling there. I, I have interviewed obviously 108 people <laughs> for that and trust me when you're when you're speaking to someone um i gauge you can probably go back and listen to a podcast and you can tell how much i think someone knows by what i ask i've not <laughs> been i've not been nervous to ask you anything because okay. i know you're going to know the answer so i feel like that that complex doesn't need to be there i completely mean that um oh, uh, no I, I, you don't have to thank me i just totally mean it um yeah. and You've not been in it forever, and that example you gave about <clears throat> about the foot bathing is probably why. Like some people will sit and they'll do something, they'll be like, "Oh well, Dad did this, my Gran did this." There's no progression right. there, uh, and you're learning by by checking everything and seeing that, what's happening. And I think that's a big thing, Wallace, is that actually because we're first generation, there's no set way of doing things, so we're quite happy to look outside the box. So when people are like, "Oh my goodness, that's actually a bit mad that you're." 
like spinning seed in a so my my husband's been spinning seed in a concrete mixer with um compost extract in um because he's done a lot of research into it and he believes that's the right thing to do for our seed um but people have thought that's totally mad and that you know but but we're willing you know we we always the bottom line of our business is uh we because we've had a business partner we we've always been focused on making sure that we are making a good return from the money invested so there's that's always been there but as long as we're trialing things not sort of going full out on something then it's never been an issue if that makes sense we don't change massive things we don't suddenly decide that we're gonna breed jersey or you know just suddenly do one thing we do everything small incremental changes that add up to to slightly different system and it's it's quite interesting i mean like i am i don't know about you i'm terrible for i say terrible it's probably a good thing I don't really go on social media much. I'm a bit of a social media nerd, like I love speaking to people about their analytics and watching all that sort of thing, but I actually don't consume much content. And when I messaged you, I was like, I should probably look in depth about the Instagram. And I would advise you if you're listening to go look, it's not just random photos of cows and stuff. There's a lot of information in there. It's it's a really good Instagram. So uh, if you are listening, go and check it out. Um, Tell us about that Arla board, Sophie. You also mentioned just off camera before we kick off. You'd been <clears throat> been for a sort of day and a half session of uh, as part of there was Arla Regen project was that yeah. so what well, Arla so, must be doing quite a lot for their yeah, farm. They are so Arla is a cooperative, which means that as farmer owners, we all own part of the business. So when you become a member, you have to buy your way in. If that makes sense, normally through your milk price. So normally you don't get the full milk price, and some of it goes to buying your share of the business to begin with. And um, it was actually really important to us to be part of a cooperative because we weren't going to be where we live. Is we won't be able to do direct sales here. There's not the population, but to feel like we we have some sort of input into where it goes, you know, is important to us. Um, and then um, a year ago, one of the um, district elected reps um, was stepping down. Um, Shirley, she's been in post for a very long time. One of the first females to do it. Um, very very um inspiring for me uh also organic and her son a friend of ours um and she was stepping down and she said like if you want to do it this is the time to do it so um she was also a board member at the same time so i applied to be uh, elected and you have to be voted on by your district so i got voted on and then um then you go to regional and then the regional i felt too nervous to stand then because a lot of the people who are already on the board have been on there a long time and were re-standing. So I just didn't feel like I'd come in and push someone off or, you know, I just didn't feel the confidence then. So then we had something called Area Forum, which is basically everyone elected goes and there were some spare spots which hadn't been elected in other areas, if that makes sense for the board. So it's board representatives, there were all farmers on it. Um, there's 29 in the UK elected out of 2,000, it's 2,200 um, farmers in the UK of um Arla conventional and organic um so I stood then and I got a place um and it's sort of been a bit of a well you know whirlwind is in they put you through amazing training we went within 10 days we were on a plane to Denmark to do a two-day training uh called kick-in with all other newly elected and then probably been to Denmark five times in the last maybe six times actually in the last year um for different because I'm on the organic committee as well I, I stood for the organic committee at the same time so that's separate meetings 
policy steering group, which which only really meet over teams. Um, and then uh, obviously BOR um, and, and training things. So I've been, it's, it's led to a lot of things. And also you feel like you know a lot more about the business that you own part of. Um, but they also, because they are um, with Regen, they didn't want to be seen to be going out and shouting, oh, we're regenerative without having any data. They're very cautious on things like that because it is such a big business. So instead of doing that, they were determined to sort of, um, investigate what Regen meant to farmers so they decided that a pilot scheme would be the best way so it's a four-year pilot there's eight farmers in the UK had to apply to be part of it um and then uh there's other other farms in the other regions so Denmark Sweden and CE which is Germany uh Holland Belgium um each country has their their own pilot farms and then we share amongst all of us as well but we share within our country too so we do things like this was a study tour looking at other farms and what they're doing um we do like a monthly catch-up on what we're doing we've got a handprint plan each so mine is looking at the social impact of regenerative agriculture so what I want to do is write a curriculum or we do a lot of school visits um and I want to write a curriculum which would then be able to be used by the rest of the um, farm owners if that makes sense so like worksheets um you know all of that very basic down to you know soil stuff milk stuff cow stuff grass stuff you know all of that in an, in one pack where people just print off and on the website print off stuff that they just to encourage people because sometimes i think without the confidence to you know without having the resources people don't do them and that shouldn't be a barrier um and then tom's is like looking at compost and the impact it has on on the land so we all have different ones um so we we work with the um they have sort of an advisor regen advisor that we've done work with and then we we've been on probably go on three study tours a year um just 36 hours altogether uh depending on where we've been to year valley with they part of the pilot scheme too. year valley we've been to uh where we went um just now the cotswolds they've come to us for a pacific grazing one so we just yeah just move around um share ideas it's just really nice to be part of a group that are similar thinking if that makes mm -hmm. sense I'm quite happy, you know, quite willing to try things. Two of the farms are housed. And so they that what their view on regenerative is quite different to ours, which is really useful because we pull stuff from them and they pull stuff from us. So the way they're establishing crops and things, the way they're using different chemicals, they're they're like changing that depending on what they're learning from us. And like they're because they're a lot of them have uh, much larger teams and learning loads from how they manage their people. Because some of them, you know, would be nearly, you know, a family of people working for them. And that's really important to get that right. Because they're very reliant on having a good team of staff. So it's just drawing off each other, um, which I think is the best way farmers learn. Um, but yeah, no, Arla's a great cooperative. It's, it's you know, it's it's got heavy brands. Um, so big, well-known brands. Um, and I think... It's just exciting part of something that is um, that you're that you own part of. You know, when you go to factories and have a look, you think actually I own like not point not not of this. You know, it's, it, it might seem a small amount, but you do. You know, you're that they're investing the money you've invested. Yeah, and it's it's <clears throat> you said it's the best way for farmers to learn. It's the best way for everyone to learn is coming together and seeing best practice, seeing and 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 best practice maybe isn't the word because that makes you think there's one. 
Uh, just like you're saying, there's so many different ways in which good things are happening in so many different systems. And yeah, it sounds like quite a progressive movement. <laughs> um, <laughs> Denmark could be cool. It's an interesting country agriculturally. It is uh, yeah, very different to us. Very, yeah. very different. Shorter growing season. So more intensive, I would say, but only because they don't have the, the period of time of growing grass than we do. So they have much they've had more they've heavily invested in buildings and things because their cattle have to stay inside longer because the seasons just don't allow. Um, it's, it's quite quite piggy as well, isn't it? There's a lot of pigs on the there. Oh, yeah. Massive. Denmark. It's like yeah. the big the like main they, one. Uh, yeah, huge. Yeah. They didn't convince you to go into that, did they? <laughs> oh, pigs. I've got I've got eight pigs here. Six are about to leave the building um i've sold them they're leaving at the weekend six girls um and then we we do some sausages of our own our, my husband makes them with a friend um and yeah just for ourselves but we you know sell gift a few away um it's because it's nice to know where your food's from yeah 100 100 i think some of the intensive pig systems that i've been to i'm like oh not a fan of this <laughs> Things, really pigs and they are very intelligent animals so they just, you know, they I, I don't fully trust them. Yeah, are they smarter than us? Like what, I what are... think eyes that get me. They're freaky, <laughs> they are. And uh, the, I mean, the smell thing, Jonas, doesn't affect me. I've not had a sense of smell since I had COVID eighteen months ago. No um, way. That's one of the best things about it. <laughs> not that I have well, things. Can you taste it? Can you taste that... it? Can you yeah, have it? Um, weird. Yeah, and people, someone said this to me last week, and I've never actually thought about it. I lost taste and smell at the time. It was like the 18th of December. So I was like, see if I can't taste my Christmas dinner. Uh, but I got my taste back maybe like the 22nd, 23rd. And mm. I've smelled I've smelled about five things in the last 18 months. Um, things taste different. Mm. But it's been so long, I can't really remember what they tasted like. But I, I know I like chocolate less now, which is a good thing. Uh, it's quite handy, actually. Um, oh, I love <laughs> yeah, I did as well. I, I probably still do, but it's, it, yeah, I don't really know how to explain it. Everything's slightly different, but um, oh, what was I going to say? No, I can't remember. I can't remember. Um, oh yes, I was going to say the 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 wee ones are the are the kids interested in farming? Do you see that being a thing in the future? Yeah, I think so. The eldest is probably more interested in tractors at the moment, just because of his age, and he can drive. You know, can drive a scraper tractor better than me, much better than me. <laughs> 14 uh the middle list is very good with animals i think she'll do something she'll probably do veterinary or something like that she'll be involved with animals um she's very good with the dogs and then the youngest is just happy doing whatever she's five she just has to roll in with everyone else uh, yeah not not neglectful but she does just have to she just follows us all around no need to know what you're doing at five that's for, or 14 for that matter or really uh, i don't really know what i'm doing yet um no, here, Sophie, it's been a pleasure. It's been a, a pleasure. Oh, really enjoyed it. No, I'm glad. I'm glad. Time sort of flies by. Believe it or not, that's yeah. been already. Uh, oh, my so, goodness. Yeah, it's 57 minutes. It sort of flies by. But there's there's two questions I ask everyone at the end of every yeah. podcast. <clears throat> and uh, you'll be very good for one of them. But uh, the first one is, where do you see yourself in five years? And the second one, which I think will be really good for you, uh, for you to answer, is a few tips for folk to get into farming. What would they be? Well, well, the five-year one. So we have this sort of plan of um, what we really want is to move one block off. So like move the either autumns or springs off the farm onto another farm. 
and we've just taken on an arable block of sort of 350 acres which at the moment will just be um you know to mill uh and sold off, off farm but the aim long term is that that arable will feed the two dairies when we get another dairy so what we really want is a circular system where all the beef thread all the grains produced on farm between the, the blocks um probably i would like to be able to have capacity to do more education stuff i've got the right team now there's the girls are good with kids and we've we're just going to put a classroom in we've got some funding to put classroom in here convert a, a building that's already here so i think probably it will it will look slightly different the business but we very much still be in farming and i'd hope that i'd still be doing the board stuff but you just never know fair well it sounds like they're you're an asset in fairness so yeah and halfway through the next tenancy so uh, yeah exciting times and a few tips for folk for getting in i say don't give up so i would just like keep going so it's very you know the first the first tenancy that you're going for we went for three before we went we got this one um and it's very easy to get disheartened but um to keep going get experience get yourself a mentor that's a big big thing get stock as soon as you can and build a relationship with the bank manager from even if you're not wanting to borrow money build a relationship oxbury are brilliant they're very focused on ag- or purely agriculture and they have a young team there um, that just build a relationship and also be very open-minded at opportunities. So like it might not look good on paper, but actually go and see it. Get Just tell everyone what you want to do because, you know, if you're if someone might come across something that you don't even know about and it could just open a door to something you're not least expecting. So, yeah, definitely, definitely just keep going is one of the big things. Brilliant. Brilliant. And coming from someone that literally not even 10 years ago did that exact thing. So, yeah, no, fantastic. Uh, no, as I said, it's been a pleasure having you on. Um, it oh, does. I really enjoyed it. Glad, I'm glad it does sort of fly by. And I'm conscious of the time, and I better let you get back to the evening. Going food shopping for my neighbour, which what was is that, totally mental, but I have a very dotty neighbour who it's very pacific about where we do her food shopping and it's like a uh, the only reason i still do it is because she i feel like it, i feel good for doing it if that makes sense nothing yeah. to do with she can be slightly witchy um but <laughs> she likes tesco's so because we've been away i haven't managed to do it within the time frame so i thought actually we need some shopping it will be quiet it's the perfect time actually to go. <laughs> so, well, I tend to finish these podcasts and go to Tesco as well. I'm more of an Aldi fan, but um, oh, too early. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it shuts too early. I like to go to Aldi to pick up milk and come home with a chainsaw, but uh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's so like that. It's so like that. But no, uh, yeah, I better let you get uh, on to, to neighbour shopping. But just before we do finish, for those of you listening, um, as I said, the last episode was with Dylan and Theltia talking about world travel very eye-opening i would advise you go follow both of them on instagram because they just document everything they do every day of every day of every week they talk about what they're doing where they are they're settling down uh, for the next month in mexico which i think is the longest i've ever stopped uh, Mm -hmm. for the last five years or whatever so that was a really interesting one obviously this one's been a great episode and then next week or not next week now it's two every week the next episode with Amy Budge, uh, one of this farming life's sort of major success stories of the three sisters who unfortunately lost their dad and took on the farm um, at quite a young age for the three of them. I don't know what age the eldest was, but I think probably about 25 um, out of the three. So took on that, quite a big role. 
um, sort of left college, the ones that were still there and, and are doing very successful up in Shetland. So that's the next, next episode of the Arctic Cast. Uh, but thank you today to Sophie. You've been an absolute great guest. It's been a pleasure. Hope you've enjoyed it yourself. As I said, Thanks thank so much. I've really loved it. And uh, we shall see you all for the next episode. Thanks, guys. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2 cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A-Plan Rural. If you follow A-Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far, and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen, and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural, and on Facebook at A Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.